0: Good, uh, good morning. My name is Matt Kerber. I'm a pastor at City Reform. We want to dismiss children for, uh, for Children's Church, those who would be going to that program, One designed to help you uh, learn how to participate in what we do in the worship service. Our children are dismissed now. We are uh, at the uh, sort of an end and a beginning, uh, the end of the summer, the end of a book in the Bible, and we're anticipating a, a whole new beginning as we move forward into some new things as a church we have uh, uh, college students returning some coming to uh, Pittsburgh for the first time if you're here already anticipating a new semester we welcome you but we anticipate in the next couple of weeks we'll see the uh, incoming flood of uh, new faces and the return of old faces it's a a wonderful uh, time to sort of see people we haven't seen for a while so uh, we anticipate that um, today we are finishing a, uh, a sermon series in the book of Acts. Actually, we're finishing the entire book of Acts today. Um, I'm going to be away the next two weeks. I'll miss two Sundays. I'll be uh, traveling to Bulgaria as part of a missions conference, and i um, thankful for the opportunity to do that. We'll have an opportunity to hear from uh, uh, incoming uh, new staff, uh, future pastor, Naman Cho, who will be working at uh, Carnegie Mellon University, And also a campus pastor at Pitt, Derek Bates. So we'll have a a, a wonderful opportunity to be thinking about these incoming students as we hear from these uh, pastors uh, serving our city. Um, As we read today through the end of Acts, we'll have certain questions that arise as we look at this book. But ultimately, the book is going to turn and ask us questions about our lives and our story and our purpose. So I'll I'll read... uh, from Acts chapter 28 verses uh, 17 to 31 and then uh, together we'll affirm this is God's word and we'll uh, think about how it applies to our lives. Acts chapter 28 verse 17 and when we came into Rome oh I'm sorry verse 16 and when we came into Rome Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days he called together the local leaders of the Jews And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of our brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers, from morning till evening. He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of the prophets and from uh, both from the law of Moses and the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement: the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Of all the stories that shaped my early life, none shaped me more than the story of Star Wars. I was three when my parents went to see Star Wars A New Hope. It was originally the the first movie. Uh, Now it's the fourth movie in the series. But uh, it was a vivid memory for me. It was one of the first times I remember being left with a babysitter. When my parents came home, my father came to see me. And uh, I was still awake because we had a babysitter and that was new. And he sat on my bed and he told me the story of Star Wars. And I was captivated. I received Star Wars from what we would say the oral tradition. Uh, I heard the stories. Um, Later, I had a comic book, a Star Wars comic book. And when I was six or seven, the second movie in the series came out. It was the first movie I ever saw in the theater. And I went home severely disappointed. Uh, I know this is a bit of a spoiler alert. If you haven't made your way through the second movie of Star Wars, it has a bit of an unresolved ending. Of all the characters in the Star Wars story, there was none I loved more than Han Solo. He was everything I dreamed of being as a young boy. And uh, in particular, he didn't kiss any women in the first movie. So that made him a really suitable hero for uh, a young boy like me. Um, But in the end of this second movie, Han Solo is frozen in carbon and shipped off to Jabba the Hutt. And the movie ends unresolved i went home in a in a a deep internal anguish unsure of what had happened to my hero i didn't know at the time uh that this was critically acclaimed as one of the best star wars movies ever the story of luke skywalker was had just deep and surprising plot developments darth vader was his father you know that right (laughs) earth shaking stuff was happening and the, the story was a, a critical part in a larger story. I didn't understand how sequels worked, and I didn't realize that Star Wars wasn't primarily about Han Solo. <laughs> when we read the book of Acts, you might have a somewhat similar reaction if you're reading carefully the whole way through. As we reach the end of this section here, if you've been with us for a number of uh, uh, weeks now or months if you've read the story from beginning to end when you get to these last verses verse 30 and 31 you might find yourself asking what happens next verse 30 and 31 he lived there that is paul lived there for two years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of god and teaching about the lord jesus christ with all boldness and without hindrance paul is under house arrest he has great freedom he's in the heart of the roman empire he's preaching the gospel and the story ends you maybe find yourself flipping in your bible if you're reading the bible and say where's where's acts 29 what happens to paul if you're a student of history if you know a little bit about the time period the, the question actually becomes more perplexing because an awful lot happens right after this if we lay the events of acts onto what we know in history we could estimate that Paul was arriving in Rome in the spring of 60 AD, and Luke tells us that he spends two years in prison there under house house arrest. However, we're right on the edge of major historical events. In in 64 AD, Nero, the crazed Roman Empire, uh, seemingly allows parts of Rome to build, perhaps out of his own... uh, desires for an expansion of certain building projects but he decides to pin the blame on the christians and the first major persecution breaks out the historian eusebius tells us at the beginning of the fourth century that in 64 a.d paul is brought back to rome after a period of freedom and missionary activity and he is killed in rome In 66 AD, rebellion breaks out in Jerusalem, and the relationship of the Jewish people to the Roman Empire is forever changed. In 70 AD, Jerusalem is recaptured, the temple is destroyed, and the worship of God as it had been practiced for centuries by the Jewish people is forever altered. We are here on the edge of major events, and Luke ends by telling us that Paul... Has uh, uh, is two years of ministry in Rome, and that's the end. Now, for as long as people have been reading Acts, people have been asking the question, "Why did Why did Luke end here?" And, and there's a, a couple of potential answers. We don't know for sure. It's possible that the story ends here because that's when Luke wrote it. That Luke had, had left Rome when Paul was established there. He had been gathering notes in his travels, and that he had. It was at this point writing the Gospel of Luke and writing the sequel, the Book of Acts. It's possible, but that would require Luke and Acts to have been written pretty early. And since Luke seems to bear a dependence on the Book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, some people question whether the timing could be there. It's certainly possible. It's also possible that Luke was gathering more detail. He was writing later, and he was intending to write a third book that would come later the story of all that happened after this we don't know for sure but what we do know is that God was sovereignly guiding Luke and that what we have here is what he intends for us to have that God has the purpose in this book the ending of the book of Acts as abrupt as it may first seem actually is an ending incredibly helpful for us it reminds us that the book of Acts is not primarily about Paul but it's about something far bigger than that. And as we begin to have our own focus on the story re-centered, we get a vision of things that God is doing in this book and that he was doing, resolution that occurred here at the end of this story that's very important for us to see. As we look at this section today and as we bring the book of Acts to a close, we're reminded of two things. First of all, we're reminded that the book of Acts Forms a unit. And many things that Jesus promised in the beginning of the book have found their fulfillment at the end. Secondly, we see an even larger story arc finding its conclusion. Promises that God made to Abraham in the very beginning of the Bible are finding their conclusion here as God brings the gospel to all nations to the ends of the earth. We'll look at both of those things, those two story arcs that find their conclusion here. But then we'll also allow the text to turn and to face us, to ask us questions about our life, our story, our purposes, and how we respond to God's word and to his story. So we'll do those three things, the two story arcs, and then the questions that the text asks for us. So first of all, the story arc of the book of Acts, the very beginning of the book of Acts. Uh, begins where the gospel of Luke ends. Jesus before his disciples, preparing to leave them, ascending to heaven, where he will sit at the right hand of God Almighty and through the power of the Holy Spirit, guide his church and rule over his people. Before he leaves, he offers these words, words that will really shape the story arc of the book of Acts. He says to his followers, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So if we want to know what the book of Acts is about, it's about the the apostles, the acts of the apostles, the followers of Jesus, who are his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as we follow through the book of Acts, we see the the, uh, spirit being poured out on the early church, their witness in Jerusalem, and then empowered by the Holy Spirit, they begin to move across social Cultural, ethnic, and religious barriers. They move outward into the broader region of Judea, and then the gospel begins to break in. The kingdom of God begins to break in into the Samaritans, the the sort of spiritual half-cousins of the Jewish people. And then in the early third of the book, we see the gospel of Jesus Christ moving beyond those groups to the Gentiles, the the non-Jewish nations that lived around them. And then we follow the story of Paul on his missionary journeys, as he takes this gospel out to the nations. Paul returns to Jerusalem, where he, he is uh, in prison. and he finally reaches Rome, as we've seen here, not on a missionary journey, but in chains, about to, prepare, about to be on trial before Caesar. He is, as we reminded in the text, on trial for his life. And yet the gospel, at this point in the book of Acts, has reached an incredibly important place. Rome was not the ends of the earth. In a sense, it was the center of the known world at the time, the center of the Roman empire. But if you wanted a message to reach the ends of the earth, there was no better place to be. The old saying, all roads lead to Rome, was a way of expressing that the Roman empire, its massive system of roads and communication spread throughout the largest empire the world has ever seen. For this period of time, you could travel across Europe through the Middle East, Asia, and Africa using one language and one currency. And just as Paul was able to move around on his missionary journeys, many people were coming and going from Rome. As we conclude this story, we find that Paul has has been placed in the best best possible location to reach the maximum number of people. He's under house arrest. He's awaiting uh, his trial. He's a Roman citizen. He's some, somewhat, in a sense, sort of on, on bail uh, here. But he he's, uh, has a fair amount of freedom. People can come and visit him, even though he's still guarded by a soldier. But here, Paul has turned his prison into his pulpit. And at the close of the story, this great missionary is now placed at the heart of the Roman Empire, teaching of the kingdom of God and proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the first sense we have as we look at the story is that even though we don't know what happens to Paul, we see that the, the prediction that Jesus gave, his prophetic word that his messengers would take the, take the message to the ends of the earth, it's being fulfilled. In some sense, it's, a, it's an amazing end to the book. In ways we never could have expected or anticipated, Jesus is being proclaimed in the heart of the most powerful empire the world has ever seen with boldness and without hindrance. But there is a second story arc as well, one that is in a sense somewhat tragic, at least in the near term. If we were to follow the story of God working through the children of Abraham, the tribes of Israel and the Jewish people, there is a resolution to that story that for Paul was heartbreaking. If we were to go back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 12, where God calls Abraham out of his city uh, modern day iraq area uh, ur of the chaldeans he calls them and he promises a new land and a new people the grandchildren and great-grandchildren of abraham would form the tribes of israel and god promised to him that he would one day bring salvation for all nations that he would bless all of the peoples of the earth through the descendants of abraham That not only would they be a special people for God, but that they would be used for a far greater blessing to all people. As we read through the Old Testament, we're reminded again and again of God's purpose, not only to be a blessing to Israel, but to work through them for the nations. In our call to worship today, we read one of the old songs of Israel as they sang about God being known you were reading the old testament hearing these promises if you were uh, in one of the tribes of israel hearing these songs sung in your worship you may have asked the question how will it happen how will god bring his message of grace to the ends of the world how will he bring blessing to all peoples well the answer as it unfolds is that a particular descendant of abraham a seed of abraham would be faithful where all others had failed The gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, go to great pains to show that Jesus was that seed of Abraham. That he was a a true Israelite, true son of David, a true Jewish man who was faithful in every way. This is who Paul spoke of in this setting as being the hope of Israel, verse 20. Paul saw in Jesus Christ the fulfillment of all that God had been promising before him. And so his pattern, and everywhere that he went in his missionary journeys, was to speak to the descendants of Abraham, to the people of Israel, to his Jewish brethren, and to proclaim to them that Jesus had fulfilled all that they had been waiting for. In many of these settings, the the message caught on as people listened and followed, but opposition was arising from his fellow countrymen. When he returned to Rome, or when he returned to Jerusalem, a mob met him in the temple and nearly killed him. It was a continued opposition of the religious leaders that led him to continue to be arrested and forced his appeal to Caesar. These are the things that he recited when he was speaking to the Jewish leaders in Rome. And so when Paul arrives in Rome, he does what he did in other places. He was under house arrest, so he couldn't go to the synagogue, but he invited. The religious leaders of his people to come and speak with them and from morning to evening verse 23 he proclaims the kingdom of god and tried to convince them about how jesus was the fulfillment of the law of moses and the prophets he was predicted for generations he was the fulfillment of what god had been doing all along what the prophets had spoken of and even the very law of moses by reading the other things that Paul wrote in the New Testament and reflecting on other New Testament authors, we can, we can imagine very easily what he would have been saying here. For instance, if we think back to our own studies in the book of Galatians, we can imagine how Paul would have spoken to these religious leaders about how Jesus was the one who fulfilled the curse that the law had brought on them. On the, on the tree, he was cursed for us, Paul would have said. He would have spoken, as he did in Galatians chapter 3, about how all who believed in Jesus by faith were now, by faith, children of Abraham, receiving his promises, not by natural birth, but by spiritual rebirth. He may have uh, thought of many of the other New Testament themes of how Jesus was the true King of David, the Messiah, or the Christ, who had been promised many years before how the, the, the prophets had perhaps spoken of God, but Jesus spoke of him so much more clearly. He was the embodiment of God's very character. He was the true Passover lamb, our great high priest. Perhaps we can imagine Paul pleading with his fellow countrymen, can't you see who Jesus is and what God has done in him? Can't you see what God is doing now? the promises he made to Abraham, the psalms that we sang and worship as children, God is doing it. He's bringing his gospel to the ends of the earth, to all nations, to all peoples. But to Paul's great sorrow, the vast majority of his people didn't see it. We we see in verse 24 that there were some that did, there were some that were convinced the early church was full of jewish men and women who believed in jesus as the messiah and followed him but the opposition was growing here in rome at the center of the roman empire at the center of the known world paul sees that that opposition is strong and that the vast majority of his people will never become followers of jesus And so he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6 in a way that Jesus quoted in key parts of the Gospels. He speaks of Isaiah and he says, What Isaiah said to our forefathers is now true of you. Your hearts are hard and you can't see. Individuals did, many came in, but as a group, the people as a whole would not respond And so Paul applies this hard prophetic saying to his own people, you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and their ears, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand in turn, and I would hear them. Paul doesn't quote exactly, but he applies the message. He's applying it here to their situation. Your hearts are dull, he says. Therefore, you can't see the story that God is doing. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. The other major plot line of the Bible is being resolved here, at least temporarily. In his letter to the Romans, Paul speaks, three years earlier perhaps when he wrote this to the Roman church Paul speaks of a partial hardening that was coming over his own people over the Jewish people and he has hope it would seem for ways that God would work in them in the future and yet he sees that the future of Christianity and the Judaism will uh, begin to move on separate trajectories when the book of Acts begins Christianity is viewed as a subset of Judaism. In verse 22, the leaders in, in, in Rome speak of it as a sect. But after this period in time, after this point in Acts and the key events that would happen in 66 and 70 AD, Christianity and Judaism would be thought of distinct religions, separate Now, of course, down through history, many uh, people of Jewish descent would come to faith and become followers of Jesus. In our own church, that has happened. As you know, Pastor Joseph is ethnically Jewish through his mother. And yet, as a people, there would be a separation. In his letter to the Romans, Paul speaks of it as as if there is a, a branch, a branch of Israel that is being cut out for the moment. And it was for him a grievous thing. At the beginning of the book, the church was entirely Jewish. As this critical first couple of decades unfolds, the church is both Jewish and Gentile. But going forward, the flow of Jewish people into the church would decrease to a trickle and the church would expand into the Gentile world. In many ways, the book of Luke helps us explain what we've seen in history. That this predominantly Jewish movement with a Jewish Messiah and all Jewish apostles would become predominantly Gentile. It was a story arc that grieved Paul deeply in his letters, particularly his letter to the Roman that came before his arrival in Rome. He grieved over his people. And yet it's part of a larger story. It's a part of a larger story that that god was doing the book of acts isn't really about paul and in some ways it's not even about any particular people it's about a god who is sovereign over all peoples who is determined to bring the message of grace and redemption and salvation to the ends of the earth and he will do it he's doing it still today the story that we live in is not a story of our own lives Valuable and as important as they may be, it's a story much bigger than that. The story that we live in today is not a story of our own city or of our own congregation, it's not a story of our own country. We're called to be faithful in these places, but God's story is far bigger. And as we come to this conclusion of the book of Acts, I think it's important that we allow the book to be turned around, so to speak that we not just be people asking questions of the text, but we allow it to ask questions of us. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he asks probing questions at this very moment in redemptive history. In the book of Romans chapter 11, when Paul is reflecting on the nature of God's work in the Jewish people and the Gentile people, he pauses to ask probing questions to his audience, questions that we would be, do well to hear. First, Paul warns them that their inclusion and their response to the gospel should not allow them to be arrogant. If you turn with me to page 8, we'll read just briefly from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 11. Paul says, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, in so much as I'm an apostle to the Gentile. His hope was that as many came in, that it would provoke even his own people to be saved. But he goes on to say to them, I warn you, don't be arrogant, to the Jewish people don't be arrogant to the branches that were there before you you are a wild branch grafted in don't let it go to your head I think it's an important reminder that we would have the history of the church and the history of western civilization is one in which all too often followers of Christ or other people in the western world have been arrogant the Jewish people at this point in time in the book of Acts the church was small If the, the power if there was any at all would have been on the side of the Jewish people and the established synagogues but that would change and as western history unfolded often the Christians were in the place of power and on many occasions they used their political power to oppress and to persecute the Jewish people we live in a world in which anti Semitism is again on the rise. And we ought to be reminded that this is not only sinful, but so inconsistent with our understanding of God's story and of the gospel that we must never allow anti Semitism to reign in our hearts. When we read these, some of these stories, these early stories, and we hear the words, the Jews, it sometimes causes me to. Cringe just a little it's the only possible translation of the text but we know that down through the ages those words have been used in hateful and harmful ways And we must remember Paul's warning that we ought not to be arrogant to stand in a position looking down on those in the natural branch our Jewish friends are people that we need to go to with the good news of Jesus inviting them to follow the true Messiah But we cannot take a position of arrogance or hatred against them. Paul asks a second question in Romans, though, one that I want to land on today. He says, when when you see God's God's word of judgment on the natural branch, you ought to look at it and say, that could also happen to me. He follows up by saying, "Don't, don't be arrogant by saying to them, For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. In other words, Paul takes the warnings of Isaiah. Your heart is hard and you can't hear. And God is going to move forward without you. And he says that you Gentiles, you and the church, ought to hear these warnings as well. That if God is able to move forward with or without these people, he's also able to move forward with or without you. The warnings of Isaiah are not just warnings for an ancient people, but they're a warning for a modern church. They're a warning for modern people who are followers of Jesus, lest our hearts grow dull and God's word no longer penetrate, shape us, and change us. It's something we need to think carefully about. God promises throughout the bible that he is faithful and he will never turn away that our salvation is grounded in the work of jesus and nothing we have done and yet it's also full of warnings to people who would turn from god Who would be complacent in their spirituality the promise of the bible is that we will always be received when we turn to god with repentance seeking jesus in faith but the warning of Isaiah is a warning that sometimes we stop repenting. People who have an outward show of connection to Jesus, an outward show of faithfulness to God, have hearts that grow so hard they no longer turn in repentance. See the order of Isaiah 6 that Paul quotes. He says, when our hearts are dull, we don't see and we don't hear. We stop understanding. We stop turning. The word turn is often translated repent. Repentance is the process of turning back to God. Hearts that are soft orient and reorient around God and around his purposes. The story of God and his kingdom becomes the dominant story in our lives. In the time of the Reformation, Martin Luther would speak of repentance by saying that When Jesus tells people to repent, he expects that they would do it continually each and every day. That the life of a follower of Jesus is one of continual turning, continual listening, where our hearts are soft to God's word, and we keep reorienting our story around him. The warnings we see here directed at this ancient people, Paul's contemporary brethren, is a warning for us our hearts soft to God can you hear God when he speaks is the story of God and his kingdom bigger than your story when I look at my own life and where I struggle I'm often convinced that the thing I need more than anything else is to have a refreshed perspective I so easily lose sight of what God's doing in my life and small problems seem very big problems we face as a nation and as a people can blind us to God's greater purposes is God's story shaping your life is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and its movement to all nations the dominant story that you live under when God speaks are you able to respond and can you change as your heart soft before him the warnings of the Bible is that it's possible to have an outward connection, a visible connection. To say with our mouths that we follow Jesus, but if our hearts are dull, we are warned. Friends, I'm, I'm convinced we, we live in uh, particularly challenging times. Some of you have particularly challenging things in your life. We live in a challenging time as a country. Great uncertainty polarization, division, and very real threats face us. And yet in all of these things, I believe our greatest challenge as God's people is that we not lose sight of his kingdom and his story. if we lose sight of what God's really doing in the world, bringing a people to himself from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, then we will lose sight of the gospel and our hearts can begin, begin to grow dull. Above all else, we want to be a people whose hearts are soft before God's word. When we come and read it, we will be changed by it. That's my great prayer for our congregation. It's my great prayer for myself. That we would be a people with hearts soft to God's word. That we would hear him when he speaks. And that we would continually turn and reorient around his kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me close in prayer.